Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. This week we're in association with Royal London and we are talking all things protection. How can advisors overcome those hurdles to getting enough protection into the hands of clients? We all know how valuable a good protection policy can be for clients when times get tough. But what's stopping them taking advice on it? And why are some people now looking to self-service options instead of going through a financial planner? I'm Justin Cash, editor of Money Marketing, and I'm joined today by Ian Jenkins from Richmond House, Anna Soffat from Adidi Wealth, and Vincent O'Connor from Royal London. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Morning. Morning. Thanks for inviting us. Anna, let's, let's kick off with you, because I know we've talked in the past about your strategy uh, when it comes to protection. Talk us through how you've seen the market recently, what issues clients are coming to, to you with, and how you're managing to, to tailor the advice to those needs? Um, I think probably from a, from a client perspective, I think protection is one of those products you sell. And being financial planners, we were very mindful of that. So we do financial plan for every single client that comes through the door. A big chunk of that is security, what I call your security blanket. And so we systematically go through every single type of protection and what client currently has, um, from sickness benefits to life cover, to critical illness, income protection. What are the gaps? What should they have? And actually dovetailing it to their um, uh, lifestyle, appetite for risk, because different people require different level of protection. Some people don't worry at all Mm. about what might happen, but when you take them through, things they may worry about it but so we are very good at focusing and saying this is what you need what we know about you and this is what it's going to be and we've taken literally all hurdles out we don't charge for protection at all even processing it so client actually don't have any reason we don't take any commissions and so it's a very much an add value thing we're doing it because we think they need it Mm. And so we're in a strong position to sit alongside them and say, you need it, and even twist their arms a bit if they're a bit reluctant. Is that a big hurdle that they come to you with? Then clients go, I get the value of this, but I just don't want to pay for it. Um, It's not necessarily a big hurdle. I think a lot of protection is sold still on commission basis, Mm. and we haven't been commission focused, we haven't taken commission for years, years. So there is an emotional hurdle probably for us, But also, um, we go from a case of saying, we've done a plan that you need this, and by the way, if you want it, it's gonna cost you 500 pounds or 1,000 pounds for us to give detailed recommendations. We can take it from the commission, but that's gonna add to your cost every month. So we do do commission and non-commission quotes for us as much as for the client. But we found it's so much just easier from an advisor point of view in terms of being, not being conflicted, but also in terms of sitting on their side of the table and saying, we really do think you need it, and we're recommending it you need it, and there's no reason why you can't, because we've looked at your budgets, and you can afford it. So in a way, we are incredibly proactive like that, so if we think client needs it, we'll, we'll jump through all sorts of hurdles to make sure they have it. Mm. Ian, when it comes to that, that sale, how do you approach clients who, who come to you? How proactive do you have to be when you, you get on the front foot in these kind of things? I tend to agree um, with what Anna just said, to be honest with you. I think um, 
it is very much part of the financial planning process. It's part of the whole process. You can't really do financial planning without considering um, people's protection needs as part because you've got financial planning is now very much looking at the bigger picture. It's not looking at um, situations in silos or or selling products anymore to meet individual needs. Most financial planners these days aren't just selling products. We're actually working with clients on an ongoing basis, work building relationships, and that financial planning involves um, ensuring that people are adequately protected. I think, to be honest, I think the major issue with um, with protection and one of the barriers to it is this is not an intended pun, but it's almost like mm. clients consider. Um, protection money sometimes is dead money because mm. they can't see a visible, tangible benefit to it. But I think the way to actually get them to appreciate the, the need for it and the value in protection is to actually use kind of case studies and, and to ask kind of what if questions. So you've got to put people in that scenario where they can picture themselves in a situation where they can see the value of those of the protection they've put in place really. Vincent, when it comes to those what-if situations and how advisors can, can communicate to clients, what are your top tips that you've seen from going around the country? Well, one of the things that I, I think when I started in the industry 25 years ago um, that we didn't have access to was actual data and information that you could present in front of the client to mm -hmm. actually say, these are the real chances and risks and probability of actually making a claim. And uh, obviously I work for Royal London now, and we've actually got this amazing marketing studio that I'd encourage anybody listening to, to have a look at. And what you can do is, if you're going to see a client tonight, just buy a few variables, things like the age of the client, whether they smoke cigarettes, what se sex they are, and when they plan to retire, you can produce like a pyramid uh, chart that actually shows the risks and probability. And I just think that just knowing that, that would motivate some people just to understand that protection is a, is a necessary thing to consider and also that it helps you with your priorities. Because if you know that there's more chance of, say, being off work sick for a couple mm -hmm. of months than dying, that might motivate you to buy income protection. What about having the, the emotional side as well as the numbers to hand? I mean, we can obviously show people calculations about the likelihood of certain events happening, but how do you turn them from numbers into action for clients? Well, I think things like the risk report is just a mechanism, it's just a tool, and it's not going to do it for everybody. But I, I think the people in, who live in this country are not averse to insurance because we insure all sorts of things. It's just that we'd rather not think about these horrible things, mm -hmm. things like death and cancer, you know, because th that's not a nice conversation. But what advisors are trying to look for really is that moment of clarity, that light bulb moment, the ping where the client gets it really. And it could be all sorts of different things. I mean, certainly, if you've got somebody that's close to you that's suffered from cancer, that's just been diagnosed, that's going through that trauma, then you, I would guess that you're much more likely to get the need for protection. Um, somebody who's never been off work sick in their life and barely ever goes to the doctor probably finds it more difficult. So advisors have got to you know, have, mm -hmm. use different tactics to try and get that light bulb moment. I tend to agree. I think um, from experience, quite often, something horrible happening to somebody or somebody close to them is the trigger point which actually makes people um, think actually I really do now see the value in having some kind of protection insurance. Hopefully it's not too late for them at that point in time but it is often the case that somebody actually having a, 
and a negative experience in their in their own life or somebody close to them is actually what triggers them to really see the value in the protection. We, I suppose we go from it slightly different perspective because when we sit down to do the financial plan, we, we systematically go and say, right, you've got your cash emergency cash and cash buffer over there. You've got this level of assets which you can or can't fall back on. You've got this, you've got that. So if you were, for example, looking at income protection, if you were off sick, now what are the scenarios? You can fall back on your partner. Mm. We don't even talk about government benefits anymore because it's almost not <laughs> worth doing that for. So what will be the position? And so we talk about that long-term goals that they have or medium-term and the vulnerability they're going to have planning for that if this happens. So actually it's turning it around because it's not so much where if you were sick and, you know, what would you do? It's more, more a case of you can't get there if this happens. And so and you've got nothing around you to provide for that. So we turn it around. And critical illness, I always say, you know, Life coverage is for your loved one, but actually critical illness is for you. Yeah. And it's your time to have a bit of time out, not have to worry about the money side or anything else. And if you can afford it, and you want that peace of mind, then you need it. And you haven't got money over there in terms of ISAs or whatever else you can access. So actually, this is really key. So sometimes I think it's just turning it around and making them realize the weaknesses they're gonna have in their plans. Um, most cases, I think when you present it sensibly to people, if you walk away from the death and being horrible and the what ifs, just think about what where would you be if you were, if you start talking much more rationally about their money and the fact they're here with you because they want a plan, because they want to provide for the future. Um, and the conversation becomes something different then. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense because what you're talking about is um, giving somebody the understanding that actually you've, you've got a financial plan but if something goes wrong that's a barrier to, to um, your plan succeeding isn't it and what you're doing is putting something in place to avoid that barrier yeah. um, having that negative impact on the, on the plan. I yeah. think, the, I think the, the, the thing is here what we're all talking about is that the thing that's at the end of this protection conversation is something that practically every rational person wants that's a lifestyle it's to yeah. go on holiday to bring up the children and to enjoy life. All we ever do is put money on the table and we're just talking about if the worst ever did happen, yeah. at least we can sort the finances out. Yeah. People want that, yeah. but we've got to try and bridge the gap between this this product sell and actually you know, what it gives you at the yeah. end of it. And, and I think, I mean, I often talk about security blanket and peace of mind because we all want, you know, some, some of our clients want a really thick security blanket, belt and braces. Others don't worry about it, but there is a balance in there. And I always say, you know, if it's going to worry you somewhere, niggle you at the back of your mind, you know, what if if I did fall under a bus, or mm. then you pay for that insurance because you're buying that peace of mind. I guess that that says a lot to the value of advice over direct-to-consumer protection sales that you can fit this into a proper holistic financial plan, and that's where you get the real worth. Of, of a protection policy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably, um, I, I think, I mean, you include all that protection in, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I include it in what I do it. Yeah. Probably I think one of the things that we as an advisor community need to look at and say, well actually, 
if we're not selling a great deal of protection in our in the advised community mm. and why is that you know I think that sometimes there is a, a perception of protection being at a lower level than the sort of wealth planning side of things being at a higher sort of um, uh, planning worth mm. and with that but I always you know it's like a house if you don't have good strong foundations uh, forget somewhere along that house gonna fall down mm -hmm. I um, I, yeah I totally agree with you I think it comes back to the, the visibility of it though as yeah. well because with an investment you can see the value of that investment hopefully growing over a period of time you can always see it has got something you can actually look at and it's visible that that value with the protection it's um, it's not something which is tangible and you can see and that's and that's why I think um, it's less well used I don't think it should should be less well used I think what you talked about earlier is, is entirely true and makes total sense because it is uh, we've talked used the word planning loads of times in our conversation mm. but it is part of the wider financial plan and that's really what we do these days I think in what, what I would say from my experience is in terms of um, you know when somebody's got a, a protection policy it could be treated like a bit of a commodity and we could look at changing it again but I think when advisors start having conversations where they're talking about the trust and what that does and then guardianship and reviewing it you know from time to time that letter of wishes at the end of it all then actually they, they, they can see re you know more substance of what this is all about and it's less likely to actually get cancelled because they can see the value of it but I think the other element of this because the advisor community only reaches a small percentage of the population and there is a vast segment that actually need protection badly. So almost, you know, if you think about the first thing you do need in financial planning, is your here and now sorted? You can't just say, go and go and save into a pension and you'll be all right in 30 years. But right here and now, well, you know, let's just put that away and you can sort it out yourself. So there are whole segments of the population that have no long-term savings um, and that don't even have the capacity mm. And there, I think, the mindset needs to change. And there, I think, educate, general education and probably the industry education, as well as the advisor community, need to come in. And I can see a, a, a need for a product almost going into supermarket and having a bit of a computer screen and playing around with, ooh, you know, what's my work peace of mind worth? And I can have a, you know, I can save this bit here or that bit here. Uh, you've got an app now that um, when you spend a bit of money, um, uh, the pennies left over and you can put down from a pound goes into a saving product mm -hmm. straight away. So imagine if you do that for a protection plan, right? You have an app, a little bit, and buying that piece of insurance. Nobody blinks about having buildings insurance and it's the same thing. Got one client um, that I do want to talk about right now who actually, uh, you know, she's in her 50s, um, her first need is income protection, right? Yes, she needs to save for her retirement, which is another big element, but if she was sick, she has no fallback at all. But she smokes, she's 54. Um, she had, oh, she works as a gardener. Apparently that's not a good profession. <laughs> and she may has a bit of osteoporosis, although it's not that desperate. We can't actually find anybody cover her right now right? so we've got to sit down with her and say you really really need this but 
and she probably can't afford hundreds of pounds per month but I can't see why the providers can't have a product where you can say look I can afford 50 pounds and I can have a bit of this and a bit of that or at the moment all she needs even if it's for one year that somebody will pay that out so I think there needs to be some innovation in that space as well interesting you talk about the the age of, of the client coming to you their early 50s is there a, a barrier on how young we should start getting people into protection products we always say start saving and start saving as, as much as you can as early as possible is that same go for protection if we get them while they're young they're going to have cheapest po- uh, premium possible aren't they mm. um, unfortunately that's not always the easiest job because when you're young you think you're invincible I mean, the biggest catalyst for protection is usually a mortgage, isn't it? So the people take out a mortgage for the first home or a remortgage or whatever, and that's actually a really good time to have a conversation with, with the client. But you're right. If if you can get clients when they're early enough, of course, they, you know, we've got this amazing thing called guaranteed premiums, which in most other insurances don't have that. You know, this premium won't change. So, you know, it's an opportunity to sort of lock in your premium. But getting that message across to that clientele mm. is a challenge. Have we, have we, I mean, just sitting here, and I haven't thought about this before, but thinking about it, so many parents now, and, and I think it's a conversation I'll start having with our clients, so many parents, even grandparents, worry about their children and their children's ability to buy a house, for example, and they will spend tens of thousands trying to help them. I don't think we ever have a conversation with parents or grandparents about protection for the youngsters. So we talk about maybe saving away for the long term in a pension. Why shouldn't we be, I think we should be talking maybe about actually taking out a protection policy. But again, I think the innovation needs to come in there and saying, you know, you can insure your child for being, if they're off sick, they can afford to pay the rent instead of bank off mum and dad. And if they are really really sick occasionally you'll have some critical illness so i think you need almost a a a, a loved one policy a good idea paid for by parent or grandparent i think i will definitely start talking <laughs> to my to my clients about it because we haven't so far i mean i don't, I don't think um there is a a minimum age at which you need to start thinking about insurance because ultimately what you're actually insuring against is an unplanned event, isn't it? Mm. Nobody's um, planning on um, getting to a situation where a claim arises. Now, obviously, statistically, the younger you are, the closer you are to, to dying. Mm. But equally, as, a, as an unplanned event, nobody knows what's going to happen to anybody. So, you know, how many um, claims are paid out where people have had accidents? Um, that's not age-specific, is it? And just from your experience in, in the advice profession, can you think of you know, a case study or, or examples from, from your business that really encapsulate a lot of the things that we're, we're talking about here? Maybe a client who is a bit reluctant to get protection <coughs> or have particularly complex protection needs that you as an advisor managed to, to tackle? I'm aware of a case where two guys owned a business together. It was a, it was a successful business. Um, their shares in the business were worth about four million pounds each. So they set up director shareholder protection. For some reason, I don't know why, um, rather than setting them up as five-year renewable plans, they set them up um, just as five-year term assurances. 
I think the intention was that within two or three years of the point at which they set them up, they were going to sell the business and would have no mm. longer have a need for it. But things change, and they did change, and for whatever reason, they got to the end of the five years, they hadn't sold the business, so they obviously still need that cover to protect their values in the business. Um, one of them took out the plan. The other guy, um, as I understand it, just never got round to it. He kept cancelling the medicals because he was too busy, etc. Um, ultimately, you can probably guess what happened next. Um, by the time he got round to going to the doctors, um, he needs this cover. The other stuff has, has lapsed. Um, he's got cancer. And unfortunately, ultimately, this guy couldn't get any insurance. And ultimately, I believe last year, did pass away. This leaves both his wife and the business with a huge problem. Um, there's no mechanism to provide the shares to, to his wife and she doesn't really want to be a sh uh, shareholder or a director in the company because it's, it's not really of any interest to her. She wants the, the value of it. And, you know, that's almost the most difficult scenario I can, mm. I can imagine, but it's easily avoidable. And I think the lesson anybody learns from something like that is make sure they're renewable. Um, because you don't know what's going to happen because it comes back to the whole scenario that you are insuring against an unplanned event. You can't be sure what you're actually, that, that you don't want to the insurance policy to ever pay out, do you? No. I mean, we've had, um, as you stay in business for a while and you, know, you start to grow older with clients, you know, we've had clients who've had cancer, you know, they've had policy that paid out, which is, and I have to say, you know, um, in these cases, they, you know, the companies pay out pretty quick. We, we moan and groan about, you know, what the claims history might be like. Mm. But um, in two, three cases now, we've had critical illness paid out, breast cancer in all cases. It, you know, they've been really, really good, um, and it's come and it's given such an immense peace of mind to the people concerned, even where they have assets, yeah. other assets they could fall back on. It's just not having to worry about even where. Their employers have been very happy and the job have carried on, but it's just peace of mind knowing they've got a bit of money over there and that sort of, it's one thing they really don't need to worry about. Um, and and life, life cover as well when somebody's gone and you know the family's trying to scramble around sorting all the practical arrangements out and then some money comes in because so much stuff gets frozen mm. um, if you don't have it in joint names. And that's not always appreciated. And along comes, you know, the life cover claim, and they pay out as soon as more or less they get the death certificate. It doesn't rely on probate and things, which can take months and stuff. This goes back to your original point, doesn't it, about this self-service or advice? And, yeah. and actually, there's true value in proper financial advice. You know, there's there's real expertise here, and I just don't think the average client is going to be able to sort all of that out themselves. Let alone navigate through all the various different options and features and benefits that are available on all the different plans. Mm. That, that I just don't think there's an app that would do that. Mm. Brilliant. Lovely to end on some good news. Thanks very much to all of our guests for joining us. Ian Jenkins from Richmond House, Anna Soffat from Indeedy, and Vincent O'Connor from Royal London. Thanks again to Royal London for their support for this podcast. You can catch it on the website. It'll be on iTunes, it'll be on Spotify, on SoundCloud. Uh, so keep posted for future episodes. I've been Justin Cash, the editor of Money Marketing. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>